Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's passage is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, you can have a seat, and if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start there this morning, um, but we're going to move through uh, from Matthew 4 all the way to Matthew 28, but we're not, going to, we're not going to cover everything between there. We're just going to look at the bookends of the book of Matthew and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, and so I want to encourage you uh, to follow along if you have a Bible or if you have it on your phone as we walk through there. Uh, if you are new here at Trailview, or if you uh, maybe you've been here before, or you came to church in the park, uh, in your chair you would have found a Connect card. And if at some point during today uh, you wouldn't mind filling out that Connect card, uh, we would love to connect with you. I'd love to share with you a little bit of the story of how we, two and a half years later, uh, planted Trailview. Uh, can we turn the lights up? Sweet. Thanks, guys. It's like, I can't see anybody. Uh, I want to see your beautiful faces. Uh, there we go. Thanks. Uh, so uh, we'd love to connect with you. I'd love to share with you our story, how we uh, got to, by the will and, and, and plan of God, to plant Trailview here in the Crowley Burleson area. Now, why we did that, and also get to know you a little bit. Hear your story. Hear uh, what's going on in your life, how we can love, care for, serve, connect with you, um, and, and maybe to see if the Lord's uh, will would be for you to be a part of Trailview. And so that Connect card's a great way to do that. You can do a few things with it. You can drop it in that black box in the back over there. Bring it directly to myself or Pastor Brandon, who's leading us in worship. Uh, or you can do it digitally with the little QR code that's on the corner of the card there. Um, uh, but before we dive in any farther, um, I want to tell you a little bit, um, a little, little story. So I grew up in northwest Arkansas. Um, that's like a totally different part of Arkansas. So if you're from, uh, if you're from the not northwest part of Arkansas, I'm sorry. Uh, if you know anything about Arkansas, you probably think all of Arkansas is like the rest of Arkansas, but Northwest Arkansas is like its own part of the state of Arkansas. Um, it's an entirely different world than the rest of it. And it's a beautiful part of the world and has all kinds of complexities and hardships and it's kind of like Austin, so pray for it and all kinds of weird things going on there. Um, I'll even pray for Austin too if you want to. Or maybe you love Austin. We love it. Anyway, move on. So, uh, so I grew up in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, my family, uh, all my aunts, uncles, everybody lived there in Northwest Arkansas. And we lived out off of uh, a lake in Northwest Arkansas and had a little bit of land, a little over an acre. And on our piece of land, we had a variety of trees. I don't know if you know this, but other parts of our nation have different kinds of trees. Texas doesn't have very many kinds of trees, and very few of them are really worth having. Um, but there, we had a big variety of them. We had three apple trees in our backyard, and they cross-pollinated. So you'd get like a red apple from one, a green apple from the other, and this like weird combination. And we'd climb those trees, and I'd drop the apples down every single year to my mom in her basket, and we'd make apple butter and apple pie and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we were weird, but it's all right. Um, and we had, we had apple trees. Uh, we had a black walnut tree, which when you think of walnuts, you're like, oh yeah, that brown thing. No, black walnuts are not the same. They're like a round rock. 
That's what a black walnut is. They're rough. They're like real, real like gritty. And the only way to crack them is with like a hammer. And so we would do that for fun. You wouldn't eat it because you just destroyed it when you tried to crack it. Uh, but we had a black walnut tree. In the back corner of our property, we had a peach tree that overhung our neighbor's fence and our fence. And so we'd get peaches from that. In the front, we had a maple tree, uh, a huge, huge, huge maple tree. And maple trees have these things that they're these little spinners that come off of them that are a ton of fun because uh, you like throw them up in the air and you watch it just helicopter down. When I mean, you're a kid, they're fun. When you're an adult, like okay, kids, come on, grow up. But anyway, uh, we had that. We had sweet gum trees, which are like the devil's tree. If you don't know what a sweet gum tree is, uh, it's that tree that drops those like spiky balls from the like just horrible evil. Um, and we played dodgeball with those, which is also kind of dumb, but we'd throw them at each other and practice dodging them because they hurt when you get stuck with them, especially when they're, they're fresh and they're, they've yet to open up and they're really spiky and really sharp. Uh, so we had a variety of trees in our yard and, and every one of those trees produced something. The apple trees made apples. The peach tree made peaches. The walnut tree made walnuts. You couldn't eat them, but they were walnuts. The maple tree made those little fun spinners, and the sweet gum tree made the dodgeballs for our childhood. Uh, why, though? Why did those trees all produce those things? Why does the apple tree make apples? The peach tree make peaches, the walnut tree make walnuts, the maple tree make the fun spinners, the sweet gum make the spiky balls from hell. Like, Why? Uh, although we enjoy them for fruit, and a part of the reason God made some of those trees is for food, uh, the apple tree really doesn't care if its apples taste good. Because in, and of course the apple's not, the tree's not like a person, it's not like cognitively thinking, like, oh, well, why do I want to make fruit? But, uh, but the apple tree's, in its uh, created design, its concern is not much for whether the tree, the fruit tastes good, if a tree's concern was the edible nature of its fruit, then I think the sweet gum would stop making spiky balls. And the maple tree might start making syrup cups instead of spinners, because that would be awesome. But why? Why do they make the thing they produce? The reason that they produce these things is to reproduce. The word produce is the product that comes from whatever that thing may be, tree or whatever it is, a plant. But intertwined in the purpose of its production is its very reproduction, to multiply. And God's wired creation to be this way. From the cosmic scale to stars exploding, gravitational pull to the micro scale of cell reproduction. It's meant to be that way, and it's no different for you and I. Yes, biologically, we are created, and a part of that is to reproduce. It absolutely is. That's why God created mankind, and He commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and have dominion over all of it, to care for, to help, to see that the creation also multiplied well, well, we multiplied well. Like literally multiplied well. And that command is repeated from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham and so on and so forth. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus carries on this from the beginning, created component of reproduction, of multiplying. 
but not biologically. He gives a command to come and follow Him. A calling out of the world to Him to be His disciples. And those who believe, who place their trust and faith in Jesus' life in their place to earn their righteousness and the reward of it in heaven, and He's taken their sin on the cross and rose from the dead, uh, securing their eternal life, those people who've believed and trusted in Him are His disciples. And He commands and He calls and He instructs and He intends on our reproduction. Our spiritual reproduction. Our multiplying. He's called us to multiply. At Trellview and in the Bible, this multiplication is called making disciples. It's called making disciples. At Trellview, we, our mission is to Delight in Jesus. Find our pleasure and satisfaction, not in the things of the world, not in ourselves, but in the God who created us where we will only be satisfied. And to follow Him in making disciples. So this morning we're going to walk through the New Testament, specifically the bookends of the life of Jesus in Matthew, when He starts His ministry and when He finishes His ministry, and then take a quick survey through some parts of Acts and see this truth. And this is the only thing we're talking about all morning. Disciples make disciples. Apple trees make apples. Peach trees make peaches. And disciples of Jesus make disciples. Disciples make disciples. And so we'll start there in Matthew 4, verse 18 uh, through 22, and it says this. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boats, the boat, and followed and their father, and followed him. You see, when Jesus starts his ministry, he comes back from being tempted in the desert, and he starts his walk along the side of the Sea of Galilee, again, more like a lake, and he sees these fishermen, literally guys who are in the act of doing a job, fishing. Andrew and Peter are literally in the process of fishing. James and John and their dad are fixing their nets either from fishing or to prepare to go out to fish. They're doing their everyday job, working. They're fishing. They most likely grew up in families that were fishermen by trade, and that's probably most likely how they fall into this line of work. We know at least with James and John, their dad's there, so they're probably learning this trade from their dad. And Jesus calls out to them, much like a a rabbi, a Jewish teacher would call someone out of whatever line of work they were in to come and be his apprentices, his disciples, his understudies, to learn from, to be taught by, to be discipled and trained, to imitate their teacher. And they don't likely know who Jesus is at this moment. Or it would seem odd that later in Matthew, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? But nonetheless, Jesus calls them out of the world. 
And he calls them to follow him. So I ask today, have you heard Jesus' call to follow him, to come, leave your life behind, and put your faith and trust in Jesus? To believe the gospel that he came, the Son of God, lived perfectly obedient to the law, to earn the, righteous, to earn the reward of his righteousness, eternal life. To die in your place, taking your sin upon Him and freely give eternal life to all who believe. Have you followed His call to believe today? But He doesn't stop there when He calls them. He calls them and He calls them to something. Intertwined in our call to come and follow Jesus is a purpose to make disciples. And he says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, follow me and, and, and you will no longer be fishers of fish, fishermen. You'll no longer do that kind of fishing, but you will come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I imagine they were like, I don't know what that means, but sure, let's go. And they followed Jesus. So Jesus starts his ministry by calling these men out of uh, the world to follow him, and he communicates right out of the gate his plan, purpose, and mission for them. It's to make disciples. To multiply. And this isn't something that only happens in the beginning. There's moments in the story of Jesus' ministry and life, the Gospels, where Jesus sends out the twelve disciples. Go throughout all the villages and preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. He has 72 disciples at one point and he sends them out two by two. But Jesus is actively, from start to finish in his ministry, calling people to believe in him and sending them out to make disciples to proclaim the truth of the gospel and call people to repentance and faith. From the get-go, with the very first disciples, discipleship is about making disciples. Disciples make disciples. There's an interesting component of this also. Jesus calls them to follow Him and He puts this purpose of making disciples in the context that they are in. He doesn't say, come, follow me, and I'll make you auto-mechanic disciple-makers. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. That He calls them to follow Him and puts the purpose and command of multiplying, reproducing, and making disciples into the context of who they are. Fishermen. And this same thing is true for you and me. Some, some people are called out of the world to go into an entirely different context as Disciple or as missionaries, as church planters, to go somewhere they don't know or don't understand. Paul's a good example of this. Along with most of the last 2,000 years of Christian history. But he starts by calling these men 
to make disciples, and he carries the context, the giftingness, the wiredness, how these men are made and created, and what they're good at, and it's combined with this purpose, to make disciples, to be fishers of men. So I'll start by asking, when Jesus called you, did you understand that when you put your faith and trust in Him, that He gave you a purpose, and that purpose was reproduction? Like apple trees make apples, disciples make disciples. He starts this way, and it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Jesus' last command, His last uh, moment um, with the disciples, both in Matthew 28 and, and also in Acts 1.8, communicate, reiterate, circle back around to with even more clarity that the intended purpose of a disciple of Jesus is reproduction, multiplication, to make disciples. And his final command to the disciples in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, which will be up on the screen if you want to write it down, you want to flip over there and follow along. It's this way, that, that the gospel of Jesus is bookend. It starts at the front with Jesus calling them and intertwining in that calling the purpose of making disciples, and he concludes his ministry with this instruction to multiply, to make disciples. In verse 16 it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Just to put this in the context, Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already risen from the dead, and he told his disciples uh, that he'll see them again, and he'll, he'll tell them where to go, and, and this is that meeting place after Jesus' resurrection. They met on a mountaintop by the Sea of Galilee, the same sea where Peter and James and John and Andrew are called to make disciples right out of the gate. In verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This last command that Jesus gives his disciples after years of teaching them, years of being apprentices to Jesus, years of being his disciples and learning to imitate, hey Jesus, teach us how to pray, hey, all these moments, the last thing that Jesus tells them to do is to multiply, to make disciples. And this is a really beautiful moment uh, for a couple reasons. But most of you if, you, if you're a Christian in this moment right now, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you hear and you see pretty clearly, and you've probably heard or, or seen in the Bible as you've read it pretty frequently that Jesus calls us to go and make disciples. And uh, what probably rises up inside of you is a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. Like, how do I do that? I don't know. Who do I do that to? What are they going to say? What if they ask me a question? All those thoughts that run rampant and wild in our minds. All those doubts. All those questions. All those fears that run wild in our minds. And Jesus knows. He, he was 100% God and 100% man. And He knows and sympathizes with us in our fears and our worries and our anxieties that come along with all of His commands. Including this one to make disciples. And He bookends this command to make disciples with 
the most comforting combination of statements he could have possibly said. It starts here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Literally what Jesus says in that moment is, I am in complete power and authority in the entire universe. And then he concludes this with, I am with you. I am with you always. So when we think about, when we consider, when we feel the fears, the worries, the anxieties, the questions, the stresses around this command to make disciples of Jesus in our lives, we ought to rehearse, recite, and memorize these two statements. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus, and He is with you. And in that moment, those statements work to slowly uh, wash away our fears and anxieties and worries. Consider it this way. This is like the little brother who is suddenly supercharged with courage and confidence to stand face to face with his bully because his big brother is standing right beside him. That for us, in the worries and the anxieties and the, yes, Jesus says to make disciples, but I'm afraid, I don't know how, I don't know what to say, I'm not an expert in this, I'm not trained in evangelism or whatever things we say to ourselves or lies we're told that we fall into believing. The most comforting statements that bookend this command are, He is in complete sovereign authority over the entire universe. And He, that same person, is with you and with me. You're not alone. And not because we're here together, but because He, who is far more powerful, far more wise, far more capable, far more everything, is with you. And packaged between those bookends of comforting statements about His power and His presence is a command to go make disciples. Disciples make disciples. We speak. We share the gospel, the good news of how we have come to humbly acknowledge our sin and confess and repent and find forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Jesus alone. We develop friendships, yeah, we invite people, we have them over for dinner, but all to one end, sharing the gospel and calling them to faith in Jesus. We proclaim the gospel, we go and make disciples, and that means we proclaim the gospel, but it also means we teach, we show, we imitate, we walk arm in arm alongside of one another to teach by imitation how new believers or young believers, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you really don't know how to follow Jesus. Spiritually immature or young believers, we teach them and show them by imitation and instruction how to follow Jesus. How do I follow Jesus in my marriage? How do I be a husband who leads sacrificially? How do I be a wife who 
humbly supports and submits to my husband, like Jesus has instructed. How do I live single as an adult who loves Jesus in a world that says, pursue whatever pleases you? How do I do my job as a disciple of Jesus? How do I manage my finances as a disciple of Jesus? Every single aspect of life is a moment and opportunity where the Lord is actively at work and invites us to disciple one another, to teach, to instruct how to observe, which means to hear and obey, to do all that He's commanded. And some of you might be thinking right now, okay, these commands were for the 12 disciples told Andrew and Peter, come follow me and I'll make you fishermen of men. I wasn't there. He didn't tell me that. Or James and John. You may be thinking, well, I wasn't on the mountaintop with the 11 disciples that remained when he said, go therefore and make disciples, so those commands aren't for me. But it doesn't stop there either. Disciples make disciples. The church is planted, started, and grows and multiplies in the same pathway to make disciples. So I'm going to read through, I'm not going to read through these. I'm just going to walk through 11 or 13 chapters of the book of Acts and show you that this is not just the 12 disciples. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, local city, Judea, state, Samaria, neighboring state, to the ends of the earth, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, which happens to be today in the calendar, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them with all kinds of people who were following the the way of Judaism in the city of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and uh, and they begin to preach by the power of the Holy Spirit the gospel of Jesus and thousands of people put their faith and trust in Jesus in that moment. In Acts 3, there's a miracle where where God heals a, a, a man and that miracle enables the apostles and the disciples, to preach the gospel in the temple. In chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested for healing this guy and preaching the gospel, which opens the doorway for them to preach the gospel to the leaders, the council, and they're released. Their arrest and their persecution leads to the church then, after their release, Asking the Holy Spirit to fill the whole church with more boldness to preach, to multiply, to make disciples. In Acts 5, many signs and wonders are being done and more than ever believers were being added to the Lord. It's the words. More than ever, it's multiplying. In Acts 5, The apostles were arrested again for preaching after healing somebody, and an angel set them free from prison. And what did they do? Went right back to where they got arrested to preach again. That sounds foolish. But that's the leading of the Holy Spirit. At times, it's foolishness to men. And they get arrested again. (laughs) And they say, we must obey God rather than men. 
It's the God of our fathers who raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him at the right hand as as Lord and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we, the disciples saying this, to the leaders, well arrested, are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. Threat to kill them? They're beaten and they release they're released and they leave rejoicing. And this is how it summarizes it. And every day they went teaching in the temple and from house to house. Every day. They went back where they got arrested, where they were told not to go, where they suffered the persecution and the consequences and threat of death to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only in the temple now, Now it's house to house. It's everybody. They're telling everybody. In Acts 7, Stephen's arrested for preaching the gospel. One of the first first deacons in the church. And while he's arrested and being about to be stoned to death, he preaches the gospel. And then is killed. First martyr of the Christian faith. Threat to kill, followed through. In Acts 8, it's the first time the gospel is preached outside of Jerusalem. At least, most likely. We, most historians think that the people who believed in Jesus at Pentecost went home. That's how the church in Rome was planted. Not by any people who sent from Jerusalem, but Christians who became Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit, go back to Rome and plant the church in Rome. It's the first time we see in God's Word that the gospel is preached outside of Jerusalem when Philip goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel. And when Philip is taken up by the Holy Spirit and sent to the Ethiopian eunuch on the road, and then all of a sudden, not there. Some crazy power of the Holy Spirit at work there. In Acts 9, Paul, formerly known as Saul, is converted and preaches the gospel in Damascus. And then he goes to Jerusalem. And the church, it says this, is built up and multiplied at the news that Saul, who used to kill them all, Now Paul came to faith in Jesus. In Acts 10, Peter preaches the gospel to and in the home of a Gentile, a non-Jewish person for the first time. For the first time, the gospel is preached to and in the home of someone who's not a Jew. And the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles as they believe. In Acts 11, the church at Antioch sets aside... Paul and Barnabas as missionaries to go and make disciples. They send out their best in 13 and so on and so forth. The rest of the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are sent out first in Acts 13 and then two subsequent journeys. And the rest of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit at work in the disciples of Jesus and not the 12 guys. Every person who followed him. Churches planted across the whole Roman Empire, and history shows us all the way into India and Asia, all by Christians, people who followed Jesus, making disciples. The story of the church is disciples making disciples. This is how it was started with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. This is how we exist today. 
here in Crowley, Texas. This is how God has intended and His plan for how the church continues to grow and reach new people with the gospel of Jesus. His disciples making disciples. So what do we do with this? A couple things I want to encourage us in. Uh, One is this. There's no self-centered Christianity. There's no such thing in the Bible as self-centered Christianity. And I don't mean that as in like the typical selfishness. That's absolutely not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of your flesh, selfishness. But what I mean is a Christianity that is focused on me, myself, and Jesus. It's not in the Bible. It's not. Should we be concerned about our uh, our spiritual growth and our fight against sin and holiness and the fruit of the Holy Spirit? And uh, yes, absolutely, but not at the cost of the command to make disciples. And there's no self-centered Christianity. It's not just you and Jesus, but Jesus has called you to follow Him. And a part of that following him is intended to be carried out in making disciples. So what does it look like for us to make disciples in our context or in your context? So there's some aspects and ways that we as a church together work and strive to make disciples. We do some things in our city. We do some things in our gathering. We do some things in our equipping stuff and in women's discipling cohorts and in other discipling cohorts. And we took our whole worship gathering last week to the park for the purpose of making disciples. We did. So we do things together towards this aim and end of making disciples. But what does it look like or how could it look for you to make disciples in your context? And so I want to share a couple of examples. Uh, and these are examples of members of Trellview. Uh, the Bible tells us to show honor where honor is due. Uh, and there are some amazing, and I'm only going to share two, and there are countless other, not countless, we could probably count them, but there's a lot of examples. Um, there's a lot of examples of ways in big, monumental, and in uh, small, subtle, simple ways that lots of members of Trellview are living intentionally to make disciples. I'm just going to share two of them with you. Uh, one of them is uh, one of our teachers that's at Richard Alley Middle School. Uh, we collectively as a church seek to make disciples at Richard Alley Middle School uh, by loving on, serving, putting a lot of energy, effort, finances, resources into reaching specifically the staff and the teachers at Richard Alley Middle School. Uh, God's, uh, by His will and plan, brought multiple teachers from Richard Alley to be members of Trailview, uh, seeing and trusting him being intentional in that. We've also moved into, not literally, of course, but we've moved uh, on mission and on purpose into the school. And most of, or all of our teachers have played a significant role in part in our ability to do that. Uh, but specifically, I want to point out and share with you um, a way, uh, one person, that the Holy Spirit has been really clearly active um, in that school, and it's Ashley McKay. Um, most, if not all of you, know who Ashley is. There's not that many of us, so you probably do, and if not, you can meet her later. Um, Ashley uh, has carried herself in her work as a teacher at Richard Alley uh, with the purpose of making disciples. She has. With this, come follow me and I will make you a teacher of 
men or women, however you want to say it, (laughs) in the context that Jesus has her, has gifted her, has placed her, she has carried herself intentionally in subtle ways and in big ways for the purpose of making disciples of Jesus alongside of a lot of our other teachers and friends that are there. And this has played out in a lot of different ways, from her character and the way the Holy Spirit is seen and present in her character, uh, from her friendships that she's developed with her coworkers, uh, from her hard work that she's done on her campus, uh, that she is one of the primary people who goes above and beyond to celebrate her coworkers' birthdays, special moments, uh, to honor them, to give generously to them. Uh, she's worked diligently to be excellent in her work as a testimony of the work of the Holy Spirit in her, on her campus. So much that she was honored and named the Crowley ISD Secondary Teacher of the Year. That's like all middle school and high school teachers. The Teacher of the Year. And she's worked intentionally to create and cultivate moments where we are welcomed onto their campus with literal open doors and open arms. I've, only, I've been on their campus a lot of times, and I've only been asked to wear... Oh, that's probably a bad thing to say. I won't say it. Uh, like, we kind of get to go wherever we want, like <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and uh, um, it's not her responsibility in that. Like, she's not the reason that we get like, to just kind of be on campus. But she's done a lot of work to intentionally cultivate meaningful friendships and relationships with her peers, working diligently in her work, intentionally leveraging her role to bring her church on her campus. And these are all great examples of what it can look like to live purposefully making disciples in the place the Lord has you as a teacher. And maybe you're going, well, uh, great example, I don't work in an environment like that. Or maybe you're retired. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Or maybe you work in a particular avenue or field to where you only interact with a few people. It would be weird for us to show up with all this food for two people at your, school, at your work. <laughs> Let me give you another example. Um, this example is not a work, a work example. This is a personal life example. Um, so most of you, or some of you may know who Adam Botterf is. Adam's our deacon of setup and tear down at Trailview. Like he, uh, over, he leads out in uh, helping to administer and, uh, and lead the team of men who help create a space for us to gather, turning the Seventh-day Adventist building into ours every single week. And Adam's uh, work uh, has him doing a similar thing that he does for our setup team. He leads a team of guys to do big industrial construction projects. Um, uh, And a lot of his coworkers live across the Metroplex, not close to him. So it's not like he's like, hey, come to church, and they live in Arlington or whatever. It doesn't work that way um, for all of us, or specifically for Adam. Maybe you can relate to that in your work. Um, But if you've had a conversation or been around or met with or been in the parking lot, um, you've probably learned that Adam loves cars. He loves cars. Specifically, he loves old trucks. 
Who likes new cars, old cars, weird cars, works in progress, progress cars, all cars? And so a few months ago, Adam goes, hey, how can I think and function in my own personal interest around making disciples? And so he reached out to another one of our members, Jeff Brannon, and said, hey, uh, I got this idea to do a car show meetup called Cars and Coffee. Uh, and is there any way I can do that in the Old Town Burleson area? And so Jeff helped him connect with the city of Burleson people, and, and, uh, and they started this thing called Cars and Coffee in the city of Burleson, where uh, anybody who's got a car of any sort and kind can come and, and just get together early in the morning and drink coffee and talk about cars and connect with one another and think and function uh, like a disciple maker in the context of his particular interest amongst a subculture of people that he personally fits to, belongs in, and enjoys. And he spent a lot of his time and energy to organize these specific events for the purpose of making disciples of Jesus within his specific hobby or interest and people who share it. So much that we came up here on Saturday night um, at about 8 o'clock last week, there were a handful of us guys to load up all of the things from here that we needed to do church in the park on Sunday morning. And uh, I'm out in the parking lot talking to one of the guys afterwards once we were done, and I look across the yard and I see a truck across the parking lot, and its lights are, it's in the parking lot across the street, and its lights are on, and I was like, that looks like Adam's truck. Uh, and it was. And Adam didn't, like, race home. He went across the street. Because there's a guy who has a business across the street from where we meet every day who works on cars, all those military vehicles, but also all kinds of cars. So he stopped in there. He doesn't know that I know this. Um, I just saw it. He stopped in there to talk to, connect with, to talk, to invite, to cultivate a relationship with that man towards the end of making disciples of Jesus. So it's not in his work, it's in his hobbies, his interest. And so maybe you're like, well, I don't like cars. Maybe you're a mom or a dad. And you can think about Jesus' command to make disciples intentionally by this summer going to the same park. Every single time you go to the park, and your kids may get bored by that, at least consistently going to the same park. Or going to the neighborhood pool every week, specifically intending Jesus with you to meet, to connect with, and to make disciples of other moms or dads or families at the park or the pool or the plaza or the coffee shop. Maybe you're a dad and you coach sports for your kids, or you do Boy Scouts, or uh, other hobbies or activities or interests that your kids have. What would it look like for you to make disciples of Jesus intentionally in that space, in that venue, in that context? So you may not be in a position in your work where it seems to work on the surface to make disciples. Or you may not have a particular interest that gathers people together. But God has given you specific interests, gifts, personality traits, working roles, location, where you live, 
the neighbors you have, all for the intended purpose of making disciples of Jesus. This is part of the reason there's a group of us playing softball this summer. Yeah, we'd love to just go play softball to play softball. But Jesus called us to something so much more. Are we going to play softball? Yeah. Are we going to hurt ourselves? Probably. <laughs> but there's something so much bigger going on. Maybe you're introverted. Great. There's a whole lot of introverted people in the world who want to be your friend. And they only have one slot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're extroverted. Great. There's a lot of other extroverted people in the world who want to have decently deep relationships with people. Maybe you're into sports. Great. Maybe you love to read. Great. Maybe you're an engineer or a teacher or a doctor or a nurse or a first responder or a stay-at-home mom. What are your hobbies? What are your interests? Where do you live? Disciples make disciples. Jesus has called you and I to believe in him. Believing in him makes us new creations. And as new creations, he's called us out of the world to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. To together and when we're scattered, make disciples. It's not just apple trees that make apples. It's disciples that make disciples. So if you come to faith in Jesus, if not, believe in him today. Find forgiveness of sin and eternal life. If you've put your faith in him, who's he sending you to? It's one thing I want you to consider. Maybe take a few moments right now. And we're done and I'm going to pray and then we're going to take communion. Today, in this moment, consider where or who is Jesus sending you to to make disciples? What's their name? What interest, hobby, avenue, road, place is Jesus sending you as a disciple to make disciples? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to transition into taking communion. Father, we come humbly before you and confess that we are fear, anxiety-driven, and stress-filled people. That you have called us out of the world, and you've given us a purpose and a mission as your disciples to make disciples. And oftentimes we are crippled by fear, by the unknown, by the I don't know hows, by overcomplicating it. So God, would you hear our confession? Would you shower us with your grace and mercy and help us today to walk in repentance, to no longer live idle, sidelined, or fearful, but intentionally as disciples who make disciples. Father, would you give us clarity for who, where you are sending, where you are calling us. Help us to be intentional and reasonable, but not to make excuses. 
Would you give us the boldness that you gave the church in Acts 4 to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus to our world? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.